Ava Hartling. Welcome to the Brand is Female podcast. Every week, I speak with women changemakers and founders who are redefining the rules of female leadership. This season of our podcast is brought to you by TD Women in Enterprise. TD helps women in business achieve success and growth through their educational workshops, financing, and mentorship. Visit thebrandysfemale.com slash podcast and follow the link to find out how TD can help. This episode of The Brand is Female is brought to you by the University of Toronto and Rotman School of Management's one-year executive MBA program. In only 13 months, you can earn your MBA outside of regular working hours, which means you can keep succeeding in the workplace while directly applying your new skills for immediate impact. With more people coming back to the office, now's a great time to stand out at your place of work with impressive business acumen, leadership, and strategic skills. The Rotman School is committed to gender equity and is supportive in their aim to elevate female leaders. You won't be on your own. Executive MBA participants benefit from Rotman's excellent reputation, top faculty, and a strong network for life. They also get best-in-class leadership development and career services, including career support after graduation. Apply now to start in fall 2022 for your chance to be selected for a generous merit-based entrance award. Visit the website to find out about the program and sign up for a webinar to learn more. Visit www.rotmanemba.com. That's R-O-T-M-A-N-E-M-B-A.com. This week, my guest is Dr. Bimpe Ayeni, a board-certified Canadian plastic surgeon and founder of men's skincare line Blair and Jack. With an Ivy League education from Yale University to Columbia and Harvard, international training at Oxford University in England, and award-winning research, Dr. Ayeni is dedicated to helping people find their inner happiness with solutions that help them feel their best. She heads the Division of Plastic Surgery at South Lake Regional Health Center in Newmarket, Ontario, where she specializes in breast and abdominal surgery. When she's not helping women reach their highest level of confidence, she can be found doing the same for men with her new skincare line. Here is our conversation. Bimpe, it's a pleasure meeting you. I'm so glad uh, to welcome you on The Brennis Female today. Thank you for making time to speak with me. Thanks for having me. And I'd like to start these conversations by uh, going back in time a little bit. And I'd love to ask you, growing up, what did you dream you'd be doing as a career later in life? And did you ever imagine you'd actually be going into medicine and become a doctor? Interesting question. So I think like most kids, I kind of went through, you know, every possible option. Whenever I would see something that looked interesting, I I was interested. That was going to be it. So I kind of cycled through, you know, wanting to be a teacher because I love my teachers. I wanted to be uh, a flight attendant because I enjoyed a trip we'd taken as a family. And so I sort of went through all these different um, permutations of what my career was going to look like. Uh, And then the interesting part is that I'm a second generation um, surgeon. So my father's Amazing. a general surgeon. And thank you. Um, I had a chance to sort of see him working firsthand. So part of my childhood was spent in West Africa. Mm-hmm. And so in that setting, my father would often have to operate on patients who couldn't afford to go to the main hospital by, you know, building his own sort of small clinic close to our home. 
And I was that nosy child who would kind of run up and try and get an idea of what is he doing and how come everybody comes out looking different than when they came in. And so <laughs> I sort of think, you know, looking back, that's kind of where the seeds were planted. Um, and, you know, as a kid, as a child of a surgeon, um, you see what their lifestyle is like, you know, the long hours. Mm. Yeah, they bring work home. And so I think, you know, um, as a teen and into my 20s, I tried everything um, to avoid entering the field. And somehow I got sucked back in. Um, And so (laughs) it helped that I enjoyed the sciences and did well in them. Um, and I also grew up with uh, four siblings and, mm. you know, we all went through the same sort of, you know, thoughts of, ah, we see what that does. Do we really want to do this? And as, you know, the universe would have it, four out of five of us went on to become surgeons in different sort of... Um, wow. Yeah, I know, I know. Um, and so my dad looks back and he says, wow, I mean, I didn't even really push you guys to, to follow my footsteps, but this is kind of cool. So <laughs> uh, yeah, three of us are plastic surgeons, one's an orthopedic surgeon, and my sister, who we call the smart one, actually went on to do an MBA and now studies um, innovation and entrepreneurship and research uh, as a business person. So that's kind of how I came about um, going into, into surgery. Mm, wonderful. Mm-hmm. And well, and choosing that feel, and it's interesting that your role model was, was your dad. And, uh, it's funny, there was a, um, kind of a meme going around uh, social media recently, not, a, not, not a meme, but around international women's day. And, uh-huh. you know, uh, people making comments about, um, when you mention a CEO, if you mention an architect, if you mention a surgeon, mm-hmm. often the image that comes to mind is a man, right? And yes. then these posts were correcting, you know, the sentence, somebody saying, Oh, I sat next to a surgeon on the plane. Oh, was he nice? No, it was she. It was she. Um, yes. Kind That's of rewiring right. our, our expectation of what you know, typically these professionals, uh, would Absolutely. be in terms of, of gender. So, Absolutely. what was what was your experience as a as a woman going into into the field of surgery? And did you feel that you had? And I'm I'm curious to know actually if your siblings are uh, men or women. Mm-hmm. And regardless, what was your experience uh, entering that profession, which is still male dominated? Absolutely. So there's so many thoughts that come to mind. The first one being, um, as I was mentioning my childhood, so it was spent in uh, Nigeria and West Africa. So I lived there from ages one through seven. And so what's interesting is that my father had trained um, in Montreal at McGill, and that's why I was born in Montreal. And then we moved back to Nigeria because his goal was to make Nigeria healthier uh, and more educated. Mm -hmm. And so he um, ended up uh, being a founder of the Department of Surgery of the university in the town where we lived and grew up. And so the funny thing about a kid living on a university campus while growing up is you actually end up thinking that everybody is sort of aged, you know, 20 to 27, 28, (laughs) because that's all you see day in and day out. And I think the wonderful thing about that experience is just being able to be surrounded by professionals, male, female, by experts. And so as a kid, when you see female surgeons, um, female professors, um, you don't think it's unusual, And so I never thought I was doing anything different. It was only once I was in the field where people would ask me questions like, oh, you know, how did you choose this and why are you doing this? That's when I all of a sudden realized that maybe this was a little bit different. But with my background, I always sort of thought, well, I'm going to be a surgeon just like 
you know, this person who I met when I was five or 10 or 15. Uh, so I think I was very fortunate and very privileged to have a lot of female uh, mentors. Mm -hmm. Um, growing up. um, And the same goes for my mother. My mother, you know, taught French and taught linguistics at the university level. And so she always sort of pushed myself as hard, if not harder than my brothers, because she sort of said, listen, the world is your oyster. You can do any and everything. And, you know, we're not going to limit you. If you say you want to do something, if you say you want to pursue any um, further training, our answer is absolutely, yep, go for it. Um, And so that's very helpful to have that background because I think back Mm -hmm. to when I was a third year medical student. By that point in time, I decided that, yes, surgery is what I'm interested in. I want to pursue this career. And I had a very well-meaning, well-intentioned resident pull me aside one day and he said, you know, Pimpe, listen, you seem very nice. You seem very dedicated. You're always here early when the staff surgeons ask you questions. You can, you you answer them correctly. We can tell you're, you're doing the background work and whatnot, but Pimpe, surgery isn't for women. You know, it's not a very Uh, (laughs) female-friendly field. So, yeah, I mean, no offense, which people usually say. When you hear no offense, someone's about to offend you. (laughs) Exactly. You know you're going to be offended. Oh, yeah. He said, no offense, but, I mean, it's just the field is just not female-friendly. And, you know, I sort of looked at him, and there was this very awkward gap where I'm staring at him, and he's staring at me, and he's waiting for a reaction. And my reaction was to look at him and say, okay. Thanks for sharing. Good for you. Yeah. yeah, What you've just said is not in my five and 10 year plan. I'm going Mm -hmm. to be a surgeon. And Mm -hmm. I just sort of brushed it aside. And so later on that evening, because, you know, in medicine, there's still that hierarchy. So you can't, Mm -hmm. I still felt compelled to sort of be respectful. You know, I completely Mm -hmm. disagreed with this individual, but I just couldn't really, um, let him know in a way that I thought would be seen as disrespectful because he still was my senior resident. I had to kind of, you know, play the game, so to speak. And so Mm -hmm. um, I went home and I called my older brother, who at that point was a resident in orthopedic surgery. And I said, Femi, you wouldn't believe what happened to me today. And he said, oh, tell me about it. And I said, oh, this guy said, I don't belong. Like I shouldn't become a surgeon. And he laughed and he said, "Uh uh-oh. So let me guess, knowing you and knowing that you're my sister, now you're going to show him that you're going to do this, aren't you? And I said, "Mm mm-hmm. Basically, Good for and, you. you know, he gave me the best advice, which was, you know, Bimpe, you're going to hear lots of no's, um, but focus on the signal and not the noise. Hmm. And he said, think about how you felt when he said that to you and make sure in your career, when you become a surgeon, to never make anybody else feel that way. Mm-hmm. And I thought that was the real lesson to be learned from that, not the negativity, mm-hmm. but just to say, you know what? I'm in this privileged position. People are going to come to me and ask me questions like, oh, do you think I have what it takes and should I go for it? And my answer is always yes. Mm-hmm. Whenever students ask me, oh, can I come by and just watch you and shadow you in the office? Sure. Mm-hmm. Can I? Can you write me a letter in support of my application? Absolutely. So I try to be as um, open and welcoming to anybody at any stage because you never know. 
Mm-hmm. And I know people are always listening. Um, and, and I think becoming a mother as well has been very helpful uh, in seeing my daughter, who's three, who basically just, you know, thinks I'm a superhero. She wants to be <laughs> I a love that. because uh-huh. in her world, I go out and I fix people and I help people. Mm. And so you don't know who's listening. You don't know who's sort of looking up to you as a role model. So mm-hmm. if you have a choice, you know, choose uh, to be positive and choose to be encouraging. Mm. And yeah, you've turned, you know, a negative into a positive. That's a great mm-hmm. lesson. Um, you've chosen a field of plastic surgery, but you, uh, in your work, you also focus on women who need reconstruction, uh, yes. you know, due to, to breast cancer. But I want to talk about w- what made you choose that branch, you know, of surgery. Mm-hmm. And um, I think there's a lot of misconceptions around plastic surgery, especially where women are concerned. So I'd love mm-hmm. to know what did that mean to you uh, as, you know, as a career path? For sure. So, you know, before going into medical school, I spent a year uh, in New York City. I went to Columbia University and that was a wonderful opportunity. Um, It was a a very interesting time because I lived through uh, the September 11th attacks in New York. I was living Mm. in Manhattan at that time, but I still, I stayed, you know, some students left and didn't uh, finish the master's in public health degree, but I stayed because I was focused on just learning whatever I could in spite of the the circumstances. Uh, And what I learned about that is just, um, health uh, and all the various facets. And I kind of focused more on the socio-medical aspects of health. Uh, and just prior to that, my degree at Yale was in anthropology, which oh, for me yeah, was phenomenal. And I chose that major because I love to write. I love to learn about other cultures. And that comes mm-hmm. from sort of my cross-cultural, multicultural background, living in West Africa, living in a small community in Northern Ontario, and just seeing all the interesting cultural um, questions uh, that brings up. And so after finishing my, my degree and going to medical school, I knew that I wanted to focus on a, a field that would let me learn about people um, and their cultures. And I also really wanted to focus on women's health. Mm-hmm, and so mm-hmm. I sort of had that as um, my background going into my various rotations. Uh, and so plastic surgery, to me, um, I love the field because of the variety. You can really help people with a variety of different procedures, whether it's more aesthetic or cosmetic or reconstructive. Mm-hmm. And the reconstruction piece, when it comes to breast reconstruction, really um, appealed to me um, because of the ability to really help people um, you know, change their perception of themselves in a way that improves their confidence and improves their quality of life. So again, it just feels like such a a gift to be able to offer that. So Mm -hmm. my knowledge and skills can help someone feel better as they're sort of, you know, going through um, a journey with cancer and going Mm -hmm. through the diagnosis and all their treatments. And so, you know, I see it as the least I can do to help um, alleviate their discomfort, um, their changes in their body, Mm-hmm. And just helping them kind of go back into their lives. It's a, a new sense of normal, uh, right. but in as normal as way as possible. Because I understand the connection between um, how you perceive yourself and how mm-hmm. you look and how you feel. And so, you know, mm-hmm. if it's a matter of me booking you for a procedure or for a surgery or surgeries to help you uh, feel more confident in your, your own skin, then um, that definitely is something that I was very interested in um, at the very beginning of my training and mm-hmm. even now 10 years into practice. So uh, it's, it's just such rewarding work um, mm-hmm. and I really, really enjoy it. 
And it's interesting because we've had, uh, as guests on the show, we've done a few episodes with the founders of Rethink Breast Cancer, mm-hmm. uh, MJ Dakoto and, and her co-founder. Mm-hmm. And uh, in in speaking to them, it became very obvious that, you know, there's, there, we, there, there's kind of that idea that we have of the conversations we need to have around breast cancer, but we've kind of dehumanized the actual experience of yes. anybody going through the process and, you know, the years it can take to, to recover or heal. Um, and a lot of the information that comes down is, you know, from pharma companies or uh, yes. it's, it's really disassociated from, from a, a human lived experience. Mm-hmm. Uh, and, and as specifically, I think a lot of women didn't see themselves kind of, I, you know, there, there's no representation for really yes. the, the breadth of women and their, their very human experience that they're having uh, getting through breast cancer. So mm-hmm. what's, what's been kind of some takeaways from working with women, you know, who are, uh, recovering from breast cancer or dealing with breast cancer, and uh, what 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 would you hope you know to see in in coming years in your practice and in connected mm-hmm. fields uh, mm-hmm. that that deal with women going through something like that? Absolutely, you bring up some very good points. So you know, I think there's diversity within um, this group of women. I think you know we all now have a better sense of just how common breast cancer is. So it's still one mm-hmm. in eight or, or nine women in Canada who will be diagnosed with breast cancer in their lifetime. So it's very common. So it's very easy, you know, especially in the medical field, to see these women as patients. Mm-hmm. Uh, and yes, they are, yeah. but this is somebody's mother. This is somebody's mm-hmm. daughter or sister. Uh, these people have stories. They have lives. They have work lives. They have home lives. Um, so it's very important to sort of understand the person who's going through. You know, and I think a lot of people, once they hear the word cancer, no matter who you are, that's it's very scary. Mm-hmm. So they come in to see me. They're scared. They want to be able to connect with their healthcare um uh, provider with their surgeon, with their team, to get a better understanding of you know what their next um, few months or years are going to look like. Mm-hmm. And so I think you know my role is to really help guide uh, and shepherd them through this very challenging and very difficult time. And like any other other patient, they need compassion. They need information broken down into bits to sort of help them uh, digest everything being thrown at them. Um, they need to be able to know that I have an open door policy. They can come and see me whenever. If it means we meet, you know, four or five times, uh, if it means that they hear the information and they say, nope, sorry, not interested in reconstruction, that's okay. Mm-hmm. So, you know, I really make it a, a conversation where I want to hear about them and I want to learn about them. And so I usually start by just asking them about what was life for you before all of this? You know, who's who were your supports? Who's in your life? To get a better sense of who the individual is. So we don't just focus on their diagnosis. Right. Um, mm-hmm. And did some very, very um, uh, wonderful work recently with a group in Toronto. Um, just... Uh, talking about breast cancer when it comes to different populations. So we know the rate of reconstruction is very low in Black women. So mm-hmm. I did a video um, just kind of answering questions that are being commonly asked mm-hmm. because sometimes just not having that information or not having the access to it is an issue. 
Uh, and it's just little things like women knowing, for example, that uh, reconstruction and surgeries are covered by the government um, and that I do everything I can to help manage um, uh, their care in a team setting. So it isn't that we're so disconnected from the oncology team uh, and that reconstruction is safe. You know, we definitely kind of all communicate and work together. So I always like to sort of um, let women know that we're a team and, you know, the goal of this team is to put you in the driver's seat. You're the boss. We're just here to sort of help you navigate through this challenging time. And we kind of want to hear your feedback. We want to know about you, the person, um, and to get you through this so that you can at some point in time forget about us. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Wonderful. And I also want to talk about the cosmetic side of plastic surgery. Mm -hmm. And again, I think there are misconceptions. There's a lot of judgment Mm -hmm. passed on women and women who choose to go ahead with, you know, plastic surgery procedures Mm -hmm. and Mm -hmm. the women who don't choose. So it seems that, you know, no matter what camp we're in, we're doing something wrong. And, we know, that's generally the case with women's um, uh, physical appearance, right? There's just a lot of judgment passed and a lot Mm -hmm. of opinions. Um, what is your take on, you know, and, and I would call it women's right to choose because I think ultimately it's about, you know, deciding for ourselves what feels mm-hmm. right. If we do feel uh, a cosmetic procedure is something we want to go for, no matter mm-hmm. our age or our condition, we should be mm-hmm. able to. And that's really our own personal decision. Mm-hmm. How, how do you approach that as a woman, you know, at the mm-hmm. helm of your own clinic and, and practicing Ex- plastic surgery? Great question. I always tell women, you know, I don't, I'm not the kind of person who will recommend things unless somebody asks me my opinion. But I tell women, you know what, if you, if you like it, I love it. If you're mm-hmm. interested in a procedure, come on down, let's have a discussion and have a conversation. Um, but I agree with you, you know, for so many years, we've been told what we can and, and can't and should and shouldn't do about our bodies. But what I'm loving is uh, this sense of empowerment uh, mm-hmm. in women making decisions for themselves. Women saying, hey, listen, I've had, you know, a child or two. My body has changed. I want to be the best version of myself. And that's where Mm -hmm. I come in. And I say, listen, your goals are reasonable. Let's go for it. Um, But I think, yeah, you know, it's such a tough, tough (laughs) situation to be in when others are sort of guiding discussions and conversations about yourself. And I really feel that at the end of the day, the individual should be able to make decisions about their appearance and their health and choose what they want to um, pursue. Um, And I think, you know, if you want to alter your appearance in any way, um, so long as you and I sort of have a discussion and we understand what's involved, and I think it's a reasonably safe um, option for you, then I say just go for it. Um, Mm -hmm. But I think, yeah, you know, in the past there were there were discussions and there was a lot of stigma associated with plastic surgery. Um, Mm -hmm, Absolutely. Mm -hmm. What I like and what I see a lot of is the uh, notion of um, social media Mm -hmm. um, making uh, plastic surgery not as scary as it used to be. It was almost like, you know, this very well-kept secret that only the elite women had access to. But Mm -hmm. now so many more of us are trained um, and our training is long for a reason because we need to know, you know, how to do the surgery, how to get patients in uh, an operating room safely, Mm -hmm. how to follow them postoperatively, how to manage complications if they arise. Um, And so, you know, we who are board certified come in with this 
this breadth of knowledge and these skills. And our goal really is to help. And so what I love is seeing that women now, you know, come in and they're educated. They know mm-hmm. what the options are. They've been discussing things. They have a better idea of, you know, what the field can offer. Um, and so I love that about the field and how it's evolving. So it's not this black box anymore. It's not this yeah. sort of society where you can't tell anybody what's happened. And um, I love women who, you know, um, own it and say, yep, I've had the following procedures done and whatnot. And so I think I'm really enjoying seeing how the field is evolving. So we aren't sort of limited to, you know, um, as seen on TV, uh, you know, yes. Nip Tuck and other <laughs> types of shows. Exactly. Now it's a very... Um, approachable, affordable Mm -hmm. um, Mm -hmm. uh, process. This season of The Brand is Female is made possible with the support of TD Women in Enterprise, and they're about confidently building you. As a woman entrepreneur myself, I know I need all the support I can get. It takes sound advice plus guidance to the right connections, tools, and resources. What's great about TD services for women in business is their collaborative approach. TD can facilitate and connect you to workshops, coaching, and mentorship, and they engage other like-minded business leaders in an authentic way so we can share experiences and learn from each other. TD Women in Enterprise has banking specialists who are able to be proactive in the advice and guidance to give to women in business. This episode of The Brand is Female is brought to you by the University of Toronto and Rotman School of Management's one-year executive MBA. With people coming back to the office, now is a great time to deepen your business acumen, leadership, and strategic skills while you continue in your job. To find out more about the 13-month program, sign up for the online Fireside Chat series featuring female graduates on May 12th and June 2nd. Visit the website to learn more about the program and sign up for the chats, rotmanemba.com. That's R-O-T-M-A-N-E-M-B-A.com. The, and I, I agree with everything you just said, um, and I think there, there's something there's something healthy and positive, but I think the flip side, though, is I do feel that for young girls who get exposed to you know, the reality of social media, which can be, which has a lot of pros. And I think yes. uh, the, 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 the good side, the positive side of social media is that we're able to share experiences as women and, you know, demystify a lot of things and empower each other, inspire each other. But for young women, there's also kind of the unattainable standard of beauty, you know, that yes. can be uh, a little hard to deal with um, mm-hmm. when we don't comprehend what goes you know, behind it and with mm-hmm. filters on social media and Instagram yes. was supposed to be cracking down on, on the use of filters, but we know it's yes. a reality. Mm-hmm. And I was watching a documentary recently where they were highlighting that younger women go into uh, plastic surgeon's office now requesting procedures that really they should not be getting at such a young age. So mm-hmm. where, where do we find that balance of, yes, you know, there's a positive side to mm-hmm. wanting to get certain cosmetic procedures done, but also not kind of propagating that idea of beauty that is unattainable and that a, an 18-year-old should not be aspiring to? Excellent question. And this is something that comes up in, in my field daily because I do have have young women, you know, who come in and uh, discuss what they want to have done. Uh, and so, you know, again, I, th- I always kind of take a step back and I think back to when I was their age and what mm-hmm. kinds of pressures I had. And so you're right, social media is wonderful. 
uh, but it can also be a beast. Uh, and so back in the day, you know, I'd flip through, you know, Seventeen magazine and whatever was available to me. But now people are able to sort of, you know, showcase things on a very large scale. And the pressure is there. The pressure is there to conform, um, to sort of meet certain ideals of beauty. And I always try and sort of explain to these young women that, you know, all bodies are good bodies and, you know, focus on positive things and sort of, you know, break down um, any sort of uh, fixed beliefs about what is beautiful. Um, and so it takes a lot of digging at times to get to the root of, of um, why they're coming in to see me. Uh, to give you an example, you know, I recently had somebody who's about 16 who was interested in a breast reduction. Mm-hmm. And in folks who are that young, I usually bring them back a few times just to help right. them understand. Because what I want to gauge is, is this person mature enough um, mm-hmm. to undergo a procedure? You know, because how you understand and perceive surgery, um, when you're still changing uh, and your brain is still developing uh, and your maturity level is still shifting, is very different than somebody who's, let's say, in their 40s or 30s or beyond. And so, you know, I always try and gauge if this person person um, should be having any kind of a procedure at all. Um, But this young lady, you know, held fast to her beliefs. uh, And she told Mm. me, you know, I'm hiding in my clothing. I wear two bras when I go running. I have neck, back and shoulder pain. Yes, I can wait till I'm older, but this Mm. is affecting my quality of life. Yeah. So we went ahead and did her procedure. She's done well. She's very appreciative. And for me, it's when somebody comes into the office the first time and they're slumped over in a sweatshirt in the summer because they're hiding mm. yeah. and they come back to see me and they're, you know, standing tall and their shoulders are rolled back, seeing that transformation and then hearing from them about how this changed their life is very positive. Mm. Absolutely. Uh, Mm-hmm. And on the flip side, I completely understand um, that some young people come and see me, they have unrealistic expectations because somebody has told them what looks good. And right, so exactly. I'm the kind of person who has a very easy time saying no. <laughs> and, you know, unfortunately, sometimes if you sort of shop around, somebody will say yes to me. But if I think what you're looking for is unrealistic, or if I think mm-hmm. you need more time to digest or mature, I'll tell you very nicely, you know what, I don't think you should go ahead with anything. Um, at this point in time, let's have another conversation later on. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Yeah, that's a that's a wise approach. And mm-hmm. I want to ask you about the, the business side of the work you do, because it's interesting, you're a medical prof- professional, but you've had yes. to build your own business and you have to run your clinic like a business. Mm-hmm. Um, did you feel that was kind of an easy thing to do? Were there challenges you maybe would not have expected when you, you know, first opened and uh, the years that you've been running your clinic since? Mm-hmm. Yeah, so this is now my um, 11th year of being a plastic surgeon, 10th year in practice at this location. And you know, the business side of things is something that we don't talk a lot about in our training. Mm-hmm. You know, the focus really is to get you um, to understand how to safely see patients and how to do the surgery and the technical part of things. And so that the business part I've had to learn along the way. And, you know, it's it's been a learning curve for sure, because I think as uh, a lot of physicians, we have an understanding um, of the kind of the the general um, ideas and principles. But when it comes to the nitty gritty, that's where the challenges come up. Um, And so, yeah, you know, I I think 
what's been helpful is my training um, has brought me to different parts of the world. And so I've seen healthcare and how it's administered in the developing world, in Europe, um, by going to conferences in the United States, our neighbors, with a very different um, way of administering healthcare. And so at the end of the day, thankfully, I've had mentors who've kind of guided me along the way because the challenge is that as a plastic surgeon practicing in Canada, you sort of have a universal health framework where by and large, you know, um, healthcare is free and accessible to all. And then you factor in the um, cosmetic part of things where, um, you know, services are, are paid for, you have these sort of transactions and sort of understanding how to manage the two because they do they do coexist. Mm-hmm. Um, and so, you know, I always now tell my mentees who are finishing that it's important to learn the nuts and bolts of our industry and to understand little things like, you know, incorporation, having a good accountant, uh, understanding taxes, mm-hmm. uh, and, and those sorts of discussions that even if I'd had them 11 years ago, I didn't pay close attention. Uh, but as time has gone on, I've definitely learned a lot um, as I've, I've built my practice. Um, but it's been it's been a wonderful and very eye-opening experience. Um so wonderful. And it, it's been 11 years. So you're, you're getting hang, the hang of it now. Exactly. Um, I want to ask you about creating your, your business, because in addition to being a medical professional, you literally, you know, you are an entrepreneur and, and created a brand for yourself. Um, so tell me about that process and what was important for you to have as a, you know, as kind of the guiding light or the ethos for for that business? So my company is called Blair and Jack, and it's a skincare line for men. And so the story of Blair and Jack starts about five years ago when my husband, Aday, um, who works in finance, came to me and he said, oh, you know, you're a plastic surgeon and you deal with skin in your practice. What can you do to help me manage my shaving bumps? And so I got to work and I worked with a pharmacist as well as a compounding company. Uh, Uh, cosmetic chemist. And together we came up with um, two components to help him during the daytime and nighttime to help manage these bumps that he found were painful. And I could tell they were having an impact on his self-esteem because they were unsightly, they hurt, and he was sort of hiding himself with, you know, Mm -hmm. turtlenecks and hats um, to cover these bumps on the back of his head as well as his neck. Mm -hmm. So thankfully, our combination worked well for him. And it got me thinking, you know, first of all, like, here's a guy who has looked online and looked in stores and couldn't find anything to help him. What about other men just like him who are in the same situation where they're looking for solutions and finding no answers? And so, you know, several years later, I worked a little bit harder on actually um, formally coming up with formulations um, and adding to the line. So we had the day and the night skin formulas that helped him. And we also added a moisturizer, a facial cleanser, a dark spot corrector, as well as our lip balm and hand lotion. Um, And so I don't think I would ever have seen myself becoming an entrepreneur in a million years because I think my idea of an entrepreneur was somebody who invented something out of the blue. Mm-hmm. Uh, but what I've learned um, during this journey is that entrepreneurship um, and creating uh, a solution often just involves, you know, going about your day-to-day life and asking questions and trying to find solutions to common problems as opposed to sort of something, you know, beyond or something esoteric. Um 
So that's how everything started. And we went through different permutations of, oh, what are we going to call it? And so in between him asking me those questions and the brand being launched, we had our twins who are now three, mm. our daughter, Blair. Thank you. Thank you. Our daughter, Blair, and her brother, Jackson. And so the brand is called Blair and Jack. And we are very happy with how things are going just because of knowing um, the amount of work that went into it because he, he and I both had jobs, our nine to fives. Mm-hmm. And a lot of our discussions about Blair and Jack were sort of on the second shift once the kids were in bed mm-hmm. <laughs> mm-hmm. and trying to figure out how to make this a reality to help other men who are in the same position. Um, and, you know, the funny thing is when your kids' names are on a brand, quitting is not an option. Mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. you know, we Good chose point. this, we, yeah, we chose to name this after them. And so that motivates both of us to keep on going when, you know, you, you hear a few no's and things seem, um, uh, we get a little bit discouraged. Um, we just sort of say, no, we're going to keep on going. We're going to keep on pushing forward. And that's been a wonderful motivation to keep us going. And so we had our soft launch in December of 2020. And, um, it's been wonderful just building a team because you need a team. You can't be good at everything. Mm-hmm. Uh, I don't know the, the nitty gritty and the ins and outs about marketing and sales and those types of things. But I, I'm very happy that um, instead of sort of going with a private label route and just putting my name on something that somebody else made, we actually got down to um, the fine details of the formulations and the packaging and the colors on, on our packages and, and things of that sort. Uh, and we're very happy uh, with, with how things are coming along. Mm, well, congratulations on that new venture. That's really exciting. And you're adding kind of a, you know, a new service to your array and uh, working with men as well. And how is it working? Uh, and is, is your husband actually involved in the business? He is, he is. So he sort of is my, um, he started off with the person asking the questions and that kind of got mm-hmm. everything started. Um, and then with him, you know, working uh, in finance and he's also an MBA holder, um, he has the the unique uh, position of having to hear my ideas at two in the morning. Because for some reason, <laughs> that's where my, be- <laughs> my best ideas come to me. So I, I know him and I say, hey, what do you think about this? So he's been wonderful. He definitely lets me dream. <laughs> Uh, and then provides a lot of practical advice um, mm-hmm. as somebody who works in finance and understands that industry in a way that I don't. Um, mm-hmm. And so it's been wonderful. It's sort of, um, you know, having uh, a chance to work as a team um, on this brand. Mm. Wonderful. Well, congratulations on that new launch. Thank you. I want to ask you, have you seen an impact? So we're coming out of, you know, what seems like much longer, but two years of the COVID pandemic. And obviously we know women have been affected uh, and, and you know, women with responsibilities around childcare and just, you know, taking care of the home, generally speaking. And we know women in specific sectors have been affected. We refer to the she pandemic, um, or the she session, I should call it. No, the she pandemic, I just created a new term. Um like <laughs> it's it, it is that too actually um mm-hmm. have you seen an impact specifically um i mean you're kind of in a different area uh, of healthcare obviously we know women working in healthcare have been on the front lines of the pandemic throughout how, how has this been affecting your field as well or um are you maybe seeing it with patients who 
uh, who come to your clinic? Just generally speaking, you know, your your outlook for um, the impact of the pandemic on on the women in your life, basically. Yeah. So, you know, there, there are a few different things that I've seen on my practice. I think um, the surprising, the one big surprise that a lot of us um, that work in fields that have an aesthetic component is just a sheer increase in demand um, for procedures that I didn't, didn't foresee. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And I think it's a combination of, of different factors. One, um, during the first uh, couple of waves, uh, people didn't really have anywhere to go. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think a lot of our work shifted to a virtual setting. Um, mm-hmm. And so all of a sudden, everybody's on Zoom, everybody's on Teams. Uh, and all of a sudden now, there's a focus on our facial appearances. And so people who, you know, um, in the past were kind of on the run because they were commuting and going to the office and leaving, um, they hadn't really spent time focusing on their on their faces, for instance. Um, right. So, you know, a lot of us really saw um, an increase in demand, a lot of questions and requests for um, aesthetic surgery. Uh, and then uh, beyond the face and moving on to the body, I think people um, who would have otherwise been traveling weren't traveling. Mm-hmm, and mm-hmm, so, you know, their, rash- mm-hmm, their rationale was, well, if I'm not going to be going anywhere and I have time to actually be at home and to recover why not go ahead and do this procedure that I've been thinking about for a few months or a few years while I have time to recover? Mm-hmm. And since they weren't traveling, they definitely had a lot more access to um, funds and their finances were in a different place. So, you know, all those various factors have led to what we in the plastic surgery field call the Zoom boom, where right. we found ourselves <laughs> a, lot, <laughs> a lot busier. That's a good one. Yes, than we ever anticipated. Um, so that has happened. Um, other sort of factors and, and things that I hear in speaking with my colleagues are just uh, having to juggle all these different balls because, you know, as a surgeon um, and a mother, you're sort of juggling um, your practice and the increase increasing needs of patients with the increasing needs of things happening on the home front. So whether it's mm-hmm. children who are now home um, as opposed to being in school and trying to navigate being you know, a surgeon slash preschool teacher. So you're wearing, you know, many different hats. Um, and so, you know, everybody's heard a lot about burnout over the last couple mm-hmm. of years and it's, it's real. And it's an important conversation to have because it does affect all of us. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Uh, that's right. I did, the Zoom boom is a very interesting concept. <laughs> it makes a lot of sense. <laughs> and I think a question I have and probably a lot of our listeners what are the most frequent procedures? What you know? What are women going to see you for mostly? So I would say if I had to pick uh, the top three or four, I would say breast augmentation for sure, uh, abdominal plasty or tummy tucks, uh, liposuction, and then after that, breast reductions and uh, mm-hmm. mole removal. Oh yeah. Okay. So no surprises there. It's kind of yes. the, the well-known procedures. Unfortunately, exactly. we exactly. are as women, we're still insecure about the same areas of our body. But that's a whole other conversation we can have. <laughs> that's and right. a question I want to ask you, which is my favorite question to ask my guests on the show: mm-hmm. What's one thing you wish women would do more of, and one thing you wish women would do less of? Ah, I think I wish women would say 
yes less often, <laughs> which is to say I wish they would say no. Um, mm-hmm. Because, you know, you can say no um, and not have to explain why the no is a no. No can be a full sentence. No, period. Uh, and I think, you know, coming into this, it's just a matter of protecting your time. Uh, which is a valuable resource, and protecting your peace. Not every opportunity is for you. And I think sometimes we feel compelled to sort of try and see how we can fit someone's demand into our life and our um, schedule and and our limited resources when it comes to time. And sometimes um, not every opportunity is for you. Mm-hmm. Not every individual is for you. And so saying no um, is is okay. Mm-hmm. And that's something I'm learning to do myself because, you know, we sort of, there's this sort of desire or, or an aim to please. Mm-hmm. And sometimes you're sort of taking a step back and saying you can't please everyone, nor should that be um, what motivates all your decisions. So, you know, some opportunities come up and they seem like they align with your values and your goals. And those are the yes, the easy yeses. Uh, and otherwise, just say no. Mm-hmm. Um, I think we should negotiate better. And I say that as someone who's learning to do that better, <laughs> because sometimes, you know, the world will offer you something and it's easy to accept it and think, OK, this is not bad and it's OK. Um, but I think for a lot of us, you know, negotiating and saying, listen, I know what I'm bringing to the table. I mm-hmm. know my worth. I know the value I'm adding to this proposition, this conversation, this company. So um, negotiate and knowing um, the value that we add, uh, I think is very important. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And that will connect to my next question. I love what you brought up in those answers. Um, we've been reflecting a lot this past month. We are still in the month of March, you know, International mm-hmm. Women's Month. And I think a lot of conversations around what women have been going through during the pandemic is bringing mm-hmm. up questions around our own personal strategy for our mental health and our wellness and, you know, mm-hmm. terms like self-care. Um, yes. So what's, what's on your map to self-care and wellness? What are things that you are doing or things you wish you were doing more of uh, to kind of, you know, keep that notion of balance and, and maximize your own well-being? Oh, that's a great question. I think one thing that's helped me a lot is just understanding that chaos um, and conflict are actually part of life. I think, Mm. you know, um, I definitely had, um, uh, I can see myself as being a bit of a perfectionist. So that if things weren't going well in every sphere of my life, I would think, oh, gosh, what's going on? How do I fix this? So mm-hmm. I think once I sort of shifted my, my way of thinking and reframed things and said, oh, no, 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 Kate, you know, things are going to come up and it's a matter of just rolling with it, that's definitely reduced my uh, personal stress level. Um, uh, and so, yeah, when you don't panic, it really makes life a little bit easier. And I remember when I was getting married, one of my bridesmaids and good friend of mine, Adesua, told me, she said, hey, listen, because she understands how I think about things. Everything has to work out a certain way. And she said, I know you're a perfectionist and this is your wedding and it's, you know, this big three-day affair. Just so you know, something will go wrong. Mm-hmm. And, you know, you have to just, you know, run with it, roll with it. Everything's going to be just fine. We're all going to have a great time. And when she first told me that, I thought, oh, my goodness, what is she? Does she know something? I don't know. And she was right. You know, we had mm-hmm. an issue with, you know, our liquor license the night of the 
<laughs> the engagement party. Of and course. I remember thinking back to that and thinking, ah, yep, that's what she was talking about. And instead of panicking, I rolled with it. And, you know, taking that advice and, you know, extrapolating to life um, on a whole, she's totally right. Mm. Things happen, things come up. And so when you sort of realize and recognize that and say, okay, well, this isn't going according to plan, it helps to help you um, reframe and not get caught up in the chaos and instead mm-hmm. sort of embrace it and say okay i'm gonna see past this and see you know the other side of of this um of this dilemma um in terms of self-care i i have a wonderful family super supportive my husband a day is wonderful um my kids are, are excellent they are just awesome, the best things I've had anything to do with. Um, It can be a lot, though. Balancing being a mother, a surgeon, uh, the chief of my division, a member of the College of Physicians and Surgeons of Ontario when it comes to reviewing premises. So Mm -hmm. there are just so many different things. And so juggling all that means that sometimes I have to kind of pull away from that and just disappear and, mm, you know, mm-hmm. <laughs> get a manicure or pedicure, go uh, to the spa and just take care of myself. Mm-hmm. Um, and, you know, I, I'm able to do it in a way where I don't feel guilt, which is wonderful because of my support network. Mm-hmm. Uh, having siblings who I can tap into, I call them and they know, they'll, they'll tell you I call them at all, all day hours of day and night and they answer it's a support um, network yeah absolutely and just you know chatting with them i talk to my sister you know every couple of days um and it's just wonderful to have all those different supports in place because mm-hmm. life is full of chaos and conflict yeah. mm-hmm. and in closing what would you like to uh to say to young women and, and and it can be anybody but uh i'm, in, I'm interested in women specifically who are considering uh, a career in a medical field and, you know, where they will likely have to build their own business as well. What would you recommend to them? Ah, so I would tell them, first of all, you can do it. You know, uh, everything sounds very challenging and very daunting when you look at the number of years and the number of exams and the cost to you financially uh, and otherwise. But I can say for a fact that it's all going to be worth it. Uh, you're mm-hmm. investing in yourself. Um, don't let anybody tell you how to uh, direct or shape your own path. You're in the driver's seat. Um, take good notes. Um, build a team, and that team consists of your support network, people who are there for you, will give you good advice, will tell you the truth, will mm-hmm. help you sort of reinvent yourself as you go through different stages of your training and your career. Uh, look for mentors actively, seek them, uh, and don't be afraid of seeing somebody who you think is um, doing a great job and, you know, latch on to them and say, hey, I like how you did X and Y, can you, you know, teach me a few things, um, Uh, And that's what has um, allowed me to get to where I am in my career. Um, So I think, yeah, just believing in in oneself is really, really important because sometimes the world will tell you what you can and what you can't do. And you Mm -hmm. have to block out that noise and focus on the signal and just really go um, after what uh, you're interested in pursuing. And you've brought this full circle. This is how we started the interview when you spoke about that resident who told you to not become a surgeon and you've proven them wrong. Yes. (laughs) I mean, I'm not entirely surprised, but you're living proof that we should not always listen to that type of advice, especially for men who like to tell women what they can or cannot do. Exactly. 
Thank you so much, Bimpe. It, it was a pleasure getting to know you and learning more about your, your journey. Thank you for speaking with me today. Thank you for having me. This was fun. I really hope you enjoyed today's conversation. And if you did, as always, don't forget to subscribe, rate, and give us a review wherever that is possible. Thank you to TD Women and Enterprise for their support of The Brand is Female. You've got it in you to succeed. Let TD help guide you. Visit thebrandisfemale.com slash podcast and click on the TD logo. Thank you so much for listening to a podcast by The Brand is Female. I'm Ava Hartling, and this episode was produced by our team. Sound engineering by Isabel Morris. Research and production support, Claire Miglionico. Marketing and digital growth, Kayla Gillis. And partnerships, Natalie Hope. Yeah.